Let me just uh, welcome you from me. My name's Tom, and as Tim said, I lead the team here at Hope. And uh, I'm going to start a new series today, a series of messages which is going to be focusing in on the, the Bible book of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians is in the New Testament. It's in the second part of the Bible, and it's a letter uh, written by a guy called Paul, who was an apostle. Uh, he was uh, one of the most significant figures in the early church. And uh, he wrote this letter to a church in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And uh, today, we're not actually going to delve into the letter of Ephesians. We're actually going to look at how this church came to be started, how this church in this uh, city called Ephesus came to be started. And it became, really, at that time, a very significant church. Uh, it's a church that not only gets uh, a lot of um, detail about it in the book of Acts, which describes what happened to Jesus' followers after he had risen from the grave and ascended to heaven. It gets a lot of detail in the book of Acts, but it also gets mentioned in 1 Corinthians. Uh, Timothy, you might have read the book of 1 Timothy. That's written to this guy, Timothy, who's in Ephesus, Paul, writing to his protege, Timothy. And it's again mentioned in, in the book of Revelation, uh, which is the last book of the Bible, and in chapter 1, where Jesus has a message for various churches, and Ephesus springs up again. It was a significant church, and one in which God did wonderful things through in that time. And uh, the, the, the letter to the Ephesians is a really significant letter. And as we work through it in the weeks and months to come, we'll be in that book until June. Uh, we're going to see that uh, it's full of rich truth uh, for us individually, speaking to our uh, individual identity, but also to us as a church, who we are to be as a people of God, who we are to be uh, as the people of God uh, here in Ipswich, what kind of things are to be the things that we value and treasure what kind of church are we to seek to be? I'm really excited about going into it in the weeks and months to come. Maybe you'd like to be reading it in your own time. Maybe today or tomorrow as you uh, open your Bible, maybe you'd like to start reading the book of Ephesians and familiarizing yourself with it. But today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 19. So if you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn there. Acts chapter 19, we're going to see an extraordinary story about how this church in Ephesus came to be started. We're going to pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 19, where we read this. It happened that while Apollos, who was another significant church leader in the early church, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he meets some people who uh, have some understanding of God and the good news, but he, they haven't had a full understanding. He sees them become Christians. He baptizes them, and then they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they start to speak in tongues in this heavenly language, and they start to prophesy. They start to speak of things that God has revealed to them. And then we read this in verse 8. We pick up the story. And Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them, about the kingdom of God. So the synagogue in, in those days were kind of outposts, really, of uh, Jerusalem, of, of the temple, in the far-flung places where Jewish people could be found. There were small uh, buildings where people would go and hear the Old Testament scripture read out, where they would be reminded of their identity, of who they were. And so Paul went there in Ephesus to this Jewish synagogue, reasoned with them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, the way was how, what Christianity was called back then. It wasn't a thing that wasn't called Christianity, it was called the way. When people began speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. 
This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So when it says Asia here, this is the Roman province of Asia. So it's talking about uh, modern-day Turkey. It's not talking about India and China and Japan. But this is still a very large area where the, the news of Jesus has reached. We're talking a couple of million people who would have heard about Jesus as a result of what Paul's doing here in this hall of Tyrannus. And this is when the story gets really juicy. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. So Paul, we know from elsewhere in the book of Acts, is a tent maker. That's what he does for his job. And uh, it's believed that he would work hard in the early hours of the morning until about 11 a.m. And that's when people in this city would take a siesta in order to kind of get out of the hot sunshine. And then they would resume work in like four, like four in the afternoon. So Paul's been working hard all morning making tents. And he's still got his aprons that he's using uh, to hold his tools and so on, and his handkerchiefs with which he's wiping his brow. And as he's, as he's uh, preaching to the people in this lecture hall, people are taking a hold of his, um, his handkerchiefs and his aprons, and they're taking them back to places, and people are getting healed, and evil spirits are coming out of people. This is astonishing. And then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. Just think about this for a minute. This was a job. They were itinerant exorcists. This is what they did for a job. I mean, if you get asked that at a party, what do you do for a job? You say, I'm an itinerant exorcist. You're probably going to, people are going to head to the cocktail sausages as quickly as they can. They don't want to talk to you anymore. These guys, they're, they're, this is their job. They are itinerant exorcists. And they try this kind of thing of trying to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus to try and drive out evil spirits. And they say, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Now, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. I mean, I, get a, I have a bad day sometimes, and I come home, and I try and kind of, you know, put a little bit of a sugar coating on it. How was your day, Tom? Well, my head's a bit busy. I'm just going to go and take a shower now, try and sugarcoat it a little bit. These guys can't do that. They get home to their wives. How was your day? They're naked and they're bleeding. They can't really get around that one. I'm just going to go get some clothes on. I'll tell you later. They've had a bad day at work. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. That means it was treasured. It was lifted high. So when we talk about making Jesus famous in Ipswich and the nations, we're looking to see the name of Jesus treasured and worshipped and revered. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they, continued, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. This is millions of pounds in today's money. This is a really valuable thing. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Can you say that with me? Increase and prevail mightily. And the story goes on. 
it gets even crazier. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. He's always got the next place in his heart. He wants the gospel to go, the good news to go to the furthest parts of the world. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Now, about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. So he kind of gives all the other craftsmen work. But he receives orders to make idols of the, uh, the goddess Diana or Artemis. The Romans called her Diana. The Greeks called her Artemis. Huge deal in this city, seemingly, as we're about to see. And he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. And that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she, she whom all Asia and the world worship. And when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And so the city was filled with the confusion and they rushed together into the theater. Just think massive outdoor, kind of like, kind of like Colosseum. You can go and see it today. The ruins are still there. It's pretty well intact, actually. So they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, these were like the high-ranking officials in the city, who were friends of Paul's, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they'd come together. This is a bit like the Capitol riots last year. You can imagine there were some few thousand people there. I'm not even sure why I'm here. Donald Trump was saying some stuff, and I just followed the crowd, and I'm now here. I don't know what I'm doing. There's some people here, they've got no idea why they've come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They drowned him out. They wanted to cancel this guy and not let him have a chance to speak. And the story goes on. I'll let you read it in your own time. And some officials in the city, they calm the crowd down, and the riot comes to an end, and Paul and his friends are spared. It's a remarkable story. It's a remarkable story. Not all churches get planted in this way. When we speak of the, the Chelmsford Church plant, which we're looking to see uh, birth this year, I'm not expecting it to be like this. Who knows? But it's a remarkable story about how, how this church came to be birthed and about how many people came to know Jesus. And I want to draw out four things from this. And then I want to, just as we close, I want to pray for us as a church. I want to pray for those who may need to see God do some extraordinary miracles, miracles as he did uh, for the people through uh, Paul. So the first thing I want to, want to draw out of this is that Paul, this guy whose remarkable life we read of in these passages, he lived to proclaim 
another kingdom. The message of his life was the kingdom of God. And you see right at the the end of the book of Acts, in Acts 28, the last two verses describe how Paul, who's kind of like under house arrest in the city of Rome, he goes on proclaiming the kingdom of God and the word of the Lord Jesus. It's the message of his life. You see it right throughout. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. Now, to the Jewish people, this wasn't some kind of new religion per se. They didn't see this as kind of Paul proclaiming another religion. They were seeing him proclaiming a fulfillment of all the promises of their religion. That there was this king promised of old that would one day rule on David's throne forever. And that he would rule with justice and righteousness. That he would never be dethroned. There was an expectation of a king coming who would Uh, who would rule forever and ever on the throne of David. That's why it was important that he was born in Bethlehem, because that's where David was born. That was David's city, and therefore he sits on David's throne. And Paul is proclaiming to the Jewish people in the synagogues, the king has now come. The king is here. You don't need to wait anymore. The king is here, and you can come into his kingdom. You can come out of the kingdom of darkness, where there's all kinds of uh, bitterness and anger, and there's there's misery, you can come into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Son of God. You can come to know him as your king. This wasn't a gooey message of, hey, you know, if you've got low self-esteem, Jesus can make you feel good about yourself, that you're enough. (laughs) It wasn't a message of of prosperity. If if you trust in Jesus and your life's going to be easy and you're going to be healthy and wealthy, it wasn't that. And nor was it a, hey, if you just pray this prayer, then you'll get a ticket to heaven one day. No, it was a message of a kingdom. It was the message of a kingdom, of a king who you can know and a kingdom that you can enter into by faith in him. A kingdom of righteousness and joy and peace, as we heard from Luke last week. A kingdom where instead of sinfulness and failure, there's righteousness given to us by the righteous one. A standing, a right standing before God. And a a way to learn to live in righteousness. A kingdom where there's joy, where there was once misery and despair. There's joy. A kingdom where there's peace, where there was once all kinds of anxiety, uncertainty. Now it's peace. There's a kingdom that you can come into. Friends, I want to tell you this morning, just as Paul did as he preached, I want to tell you there's a kingdom that you can come into. There's a king that you can know. It's a king that we proclaim. It's Jesus. We proclaim him. We don't proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus, the king who who came to this earth, who humbled himself, who came and lived amongst us, who lived a perfect life in very trying circumstances. It wasn't like he had an easy life and therefore it was easy for him to live a righteous life. No, no, it was very hard. A king who suffered and died on the cross in our place, taking upon him the punishment that we deserve for our wrongdoing and our wrong speaking and wrong thinking. There is a king who did that. And there's a king who rose again. There's a king who burst through the shackles of death and he rose victorious and who is now reigning over all things. There is a king and it's him that we proclaim. It's Jesus that we proclaim. And it's not like we uh, have to try and uh, just make ourselves proclaim. It wasn't that for Paul. He didn't have to try and wake up every day. Okay, come on, I've got to try and make myself passionate about this Jesus. No, he was absolutely enamored with Jesus. And I can't not share him. 
There's a great preacher from a couple of hundred years ago called Charles Spurgeon who said this. If you really know Christ, you are like one that has found honey. You will call others to taste of its sweetness. You are like the beggar who has discovered an endless supply of food. You must go and tell the hungry crowd. You must tell them you found Jesus and that you are anxious that they should find him too. Friends, this isn't something that we have to try and make ourselves do if we are enamored with Jesus, if we are are amazed by him, if as we spend time, as we have this morning, just rejoicing in his majesty and his grace towards us, it's as we do this that our hearts will want to share. Like Paul, they will want to share of the goodness of this king. We want others to know of the king of the universe. It's him that we proclaim. We notice here that Paul doesn't have time for stubborn people who refuse to listen. And I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I've tried to share Jesus with people, and it's kind of spiraled into one long-running debate. And it's kind of got a bit exhausting, and you can kind of discern sometimes this isn't really about finding the truth anymore. This is just about you know, someone trying to be right, trying to end, you know, end as the winner of the argument. Paul doesn't have time for that. And he moves on. He moves on and says, I've got to go to people who are hungry. And he goes off to this lecture hall, and it's the perfect strategy because we see the second thing I want to say today is that we see that the, the kingdom message reached near and far. Because Paul, moving on from the synagogues where people refused to listen to him, he goes to a really public place, this lecture hall of Tyrannus, which was probably some kind of university building uh, that maybe wasn't being used in those kind of hours of the afternoon where people were taking a break and a siesta. And it's there that many people come from all over the region and they hear him teach and preach about Jesus and reason with them about King Jesus and his kingdom. And we see some quite remarkable things happen as a result of this. So we read in the Bible, there's a book called Colossians, written to a church in Colossae. And this was planted by a guy called Epaphras, who it is believed first heard about Jesus in Ephesus under the preaching of Paul in the hall of Tyrannus. What we, we, that is widely believed by most scholars that that's how Epaphras came to become a Christian in this hall. And then he went to Colossae, his hometown, 100 miles away, and started a church. What we do know is that when we read Revelation in chapter 1, when Jesus is speaking to the different churches, these seven churches that he has a message for, is that there are seven churches in very close proximity to each other, all kind of centered on Ephesus. And so there were a number of churches planted in the area, 50 miles away, 100 miles away, and so on, as a result of these people coming into Ephesus, hearing about Jesus, and then going back to their hometowns and cities with the message. We know that people were going with these rags of paws, these aprons, these work aprons, and these handkerchiefs, going back to their towns and villages. And as a result, the, the, the kingdom message reached near and far. And as we've shown on the video this morning, that is our desire as a church. I don't believe it's wishful thinking. I believe God has spoken to us prophetically about being a sending church and about being a church where we have a a storehouse of men and women to to bless and reach other towns and cities and contexts. And I think we're going to see that more and more in the years to come. We've already seen a small part of that. Five years ago, we sent eight people on from this church who have been members of our church for years to go and be a part of the core team of Redeemer Church. 
in Colchester. And now fast forward five years, the church is thriving. They're gathering 80 or 90 people on Sundays. We, I'm preaching there in a few weeks' time. They're really starting to make a, a wonderful impact in the town of Colchester. We've seen a little bit of this already. I believe we're going to see more. I believe we're going to see more people stirred up to go in the years to come, stirred up to go with what they've picked up on here, maybe have become Christians with us here at Hope Church, and will be stirred up to go. Maybe those that have been strengthened and built up here under the preaching and teaching here in this church, stirred up to go. I'm believing for that. I believe God's spoken to us about it. I believe we're going to see it, that the, that the impact of Hope Church will be both near and far, local and beyond, Ipswich and the nation's. I believe it. We need to pray that it will happen. And tonight, maybe that'll be one of the things we pray into. God, would you stir us up that your, the message of your kingdom might not be contained to this town alone, but we might go wherever you might call us, that we might be obedient to your call. Are you up for that, friends? We want to see that. We want to see that in this church in the years to come. So this gospel message went near and far, and I believe that this church is similarly pregnant with potential to go near and far with the gospel of Jesus. Third thing I pull out from this is that the kingdom was demonstrated with great power. It says in a passage that we just read that these were extraordinary miracles. Now, I think most miracles are extraordinary. When you hear of someone being healed or amazing provision or someone uh, having a prophetic word that's so accurate, that's extraordinary, right? But these are extraordinary miracles. These are miraculous miracles. These are, some, these are kind of another level miracles that are happening. And people are getting healed all over the place. Evil spirits are being cast out of people. People are being freed from demonic oppression. Things are happening. This is like a a beautiful picture of revival. I don't know if you ever read stories of revival. I'd recommend books like this. This is called Great Revivals by Colin Whitaker. You can get a hold of it on most online bookstores. And, and it's so powerful to read of miracles that have happened in this nation, uh, in, in Wales, in Scotland, but also in different nations and continents of the world. And when you read those accounts of revival, there's kind of some ingredients that we see here in this passage. We see in this passage that fear comes upon people. All of the city hears about it. No one can escape that there's something going on with these people who call themselves the way. There's something going on that can't be ignored. And, and there's fear that comes upon people. I guess it's for different people, it's different kinds of fear. For those who've come to know Jesus, it's a holy fear. It's a, wow, he's awesome. Where would I be without him? He's awesome. He's my king. There's a holy fear. There's, for others, there may be kind of a fear of what's going to happen my, my business. I make idols for this goddess Artemis, and she's been, showing up, she's been showing up for what she really is. It's just an idol. Just nothing. There's a fear of what's going to happen. But there's fear coming upon people. When you read revival accounts, you... It's, not, it's, it's joyful, yes, but there's also a, a holy fear, a reverence of, wow, God's real. He's real and he's, a, he's powerful. The name of Jesus was extolled. Jesus was worshipped. In revivals, you see this glorious worship of Jesus. He is lifted high. He is, his name is celebrated. All that he's done is rejoiced in and reveled in. He's revered as the, the king that he is. And people confess their hidden sinful practices. There's been people practicing sorcery in this story. And do you know what they could have done? They could have had a private burning book ceremony in their back garden. They could have done that. Or they could have said, I'm just going to keep a hold of them because you never know, they might come in handy one day. 
Or they could have said, um, I'm going to keep a hold of it because I might be able to sell it on actually one day and, and get some money from it. But no, they took decisive action as God convicted them of their sin. They took decisive action and they did it in front of others. There was accountability. There was a sense in which they wanted others to encourage them in this. Hey, I'm, I'm going to deal with this. This is, a, this is a, an ingredient you see in revival accounts sometimes. People, they just want to get rid of stuff that they know. No one's told them to do it. But they just know I've got to get rid of some things in my life that are not helpful. They're hindering me. Or they're, they're, they're sort of calling me back to my old way of life. I've got to get rid of some stuff. And so they start to burn their books. And these books amount to millions and millions of pounds. One commentary I read this week said it was about 10 million pounds worth of books got burnt there. They took decisive action as God convicted them of their sin. So there was miracles. There was extraordinary miracles. There was holy fear. People revered Jesus. His name was lifted high and celebrated. Sin was dealt with and joyfully. And lives got changed. Lives got changed. They changed to such an extent that the economy of the city changed. One of the biggest uh, sectors of the economy in Ephesus was idol trade. It was known. This is the home base of Artemis or Diana. And suddenly craftsmen are getting out of business because people are turning away from these false idols and placing their faith in King Jesus. The whole town got changed. And, and Paul and, and his buddies, a couple of chapters before, you read the, the account of them in a place called Thessalonica, and they are accused of turning the world upside down with their teaching. Because where people came to put their faith in Jesus, lives got changed. And, and, and they, people didn't stay the same, and the whole towns got changed. This is the ingredients of revival, friends, and I want to be increasingly hungry for this. And sometimes I'm, I don't know about you, I don't, I, sometimes I'm kind of apathetic. I think, yeah, I need, I need a hunger for this. I want to see our town transformed, don't you? I want to see lives turned upside down. I want to see people, uh, the, the kind of ripples from life change going right throughout the town, where people can, they can't deny that something is happening. They may not want to know, but they can't, but they can't help but know. That's what I want. Amen to that. We must pray for that. And finally, we see that the kingdom message was opposed. When we proclaim Jesus as king, we're proclaiming quite an exclusive message. Well, a very exclusive message. Christianity is breathtaking in its arrogance. Because it's not, a, hey, you can believe in Jesus and believe in some other gods. It's not, you can have Jesus as your king and you can also have some other kings. It's, it's breathtakingly arrogant, actually. And so when idols, like in this story, the idol of Artemis or Diana is opposed and shown up to be what it really is, opposition, fierce opposition comes. And I believe that in the coming decades... We will, we will probably see some stronger opposition as we proclaim Jesus. Uh, not just as Hope Church, but as the church of Jesus in this country. I believe we'll see that. I'm not, threat I'm not worried about the advance of the kingdom, because I see here that God's unstoppable. But there will become stronger opposition. And friends, we have to get used to, the, to this, that Christianity is controversial. That literally means against the verse, like against the verse of the day. Because the verse of the day is, self is king. And no one can tell you what to do. The verse of the day is, 
you do what, you live out your truth and, and do what satisfies you. That is the verse of the day. It really is. There's not much more to it than that. And we're proclaiming Jesus as king. And some will try and say, they'll try and kind of, maybe from a good place, I don't know. They'll try and say, hey, your religions, you're kind of the same, really, aren't you? You know, you've got a lot in common. Listen, Christianity doesn't have anything in common. We proclaim Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said it. He said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a way. He didn't say, some people come through me, some people come through someone else. No, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so this is a, this is a controversial message, and it's, and it's an exclusive message. It's, it's not uninclusive of, hey, you, you kind of do what you want to do, but we believe in Jesus. No, this is, this is you, know, you need to know Jesus as king. This is the message. You need to know him as king and savior. There's no other way. There's no other name by which anyone could be saved. There's no other name by which anyone can be saved other than the name given the man, Jesus Christ. There's no other way. But opposition will come. And we need to, we need to acknowledge that our message is controversial. There's no way of sugarcoating it. Now, in the way we present this very exclusive message, we don't need to be brash. We don't need to be arrogant. In fact, the same Apostle Paul, whose escapades we read about here, he says in, in Colossians chapter 4, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Walk in wisdom. Let your words be seasoned with salt. Sometimes it's the way you say it. And it's, there's an understanding and a respect. This is so important. So important. We've got a, we've got a message that is, quite, it is exclusive. You need to know Jesus. And listen, it's not a very palatable message in a nation where most people think that they're kind of good people, to say your, your sin is, is so bad that Jesus had to die on the cross for you, it's so offensive to God, the way you've been kind of going your own way, it's so offensive to God that Jesus had to die on the cross for you. That is not a very palatable message, but we know the message doesn't stop there. It's, he was willing to do it because he loves you so much. He was willing to do it because he loves you so much. And he wants you to have newness of life. He wants you to know his gracious kingship. He wants you to know the glorious kingdom that he's, he's, he's setting up right across the globe. He wants you to know it. But opposition will come. And our posture towards this nation that is going in one direction, our posture needs to be like the Apostle Paul's, who sees the crowd in the theater. Okay, just imagine for a moment the, the riot at the Capitol building last year. Thousands of people gathering. They're shouting out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Paul looks at that and he says, hold my coat, guys, I'm going in. <laughs> like, we just, we're not, like, you think, I'm a million miles away from that. So, Tom, you're telling me to be like Paul. I'm a, I'm a million miles. I, that's the last thing on my mind. They have to hold this guy back. And even the officials of the city say, Paul, it's not going to be a good idea, mate. Don't, don't do it. He's thinking, he's looking at a crisis before him. He's thinking, praise God, there's thousands of people here I can tell Jesus about Jesus. But listen, there has to be something in this guy's heart that we can tap into. There has to be a proximity. Walking with Jesus 
that when he, when he sees the crowds, he has compassion like Jesus did. We read, don't we, in, in the Gospels, Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion upon them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Paul has that same compassion. He's walking so closely with Jesus. He's walking so closely with Jesus that the, the evil spirits know his, his name. They say, we know Jesus and Paul we've heard of. There's something of a proximity here. He's, he's identified with Jesus. As we go into, into 2022, might it be that we, we are so, we're known as those who walk so closely with Jesus that his heart becomes our heart. That we look upon crowds of lost people with compassion, not judgment, standing over people. We, we too were lost and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We too were going our own way. We too were making a mess of things. And then we, someone introduced us to Jesus. Listen, there's something extraordinary in the heart of someone when he looks at a, a crowd that are baying for blood. It says, let me in there. Let me go in there. It's the heart of the Savior. It's the heart of Lord, the Lord Jesus. There's a great poem, some of you will have heard it, where it's kind of an ima- imagining a, a conversation between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus. It's a story that we've heard read at Christmas time before. And, and, and the Father gives Jesus an insight into what the world is like and the fate that will await him, the brutal death on the cross that will await him. And the Son says, let me go there. Let me go there. There's a, there's a heart of love and of compassion. And I, I want to I pray for that for us now, even as we close. Even where there's opposition, even where there's people who would hate the fact that we are proclaiming Jesus that we would say, Lord, I want to have that heart of compassion that says, let me go there. Just as Jesus did. He willingly came in amongst a very messy world. I wonder if we could stand together. I want to pray for us. And then um, I want to to pray for those who you just, you know you need an extraordinary miracle. Maybe some of you physically, you need God to do something extraordinary. I want to pray for you. Um, there'll be others that will come alongside and pray as well. But I wonder if we might just uh, just l- maybe lift out our hands to God. If you feel comfortable to do that, just to say to him, I want to I receive all that you have for me this morning, God. Father God, at the outset of, of 2022, we are hungry for more of you. We're hungry to know you deeper. We're hungry to walk with you more closely. And we are hungry to see your kingdom advance. We are hungry for that, Lord. Lord, there's, there's, this is what we're seeking first. This is what we want our lives to proclaim. Lord, we want our lives to proclaim there is a king. Lord, not just occasionally with our words. We want our whole lives to proclaim there is a king and that there is a kingdom that is completely different to this world and its values and its, its systems. We have a king and a kingdom that is glorious. And we're hungry to see this kingdom advance. Why don't you, if, you aim, if you're in agreement with this, why don't you just amen to that? We are hungry to see your kingdom advance, Lord. We want to see your name revered. We want to see your name treasured. We want your name to be on the lips of everyone. We want the name of Jesus to be made famous. We want this, Lord. We want this in our town. Help us to just come out of apathy now. 
Lord, bring us out of apathy where we're just kind of like, well, it is what it is. Lord, maybe over these last two years where we've had this, this worldwide pandemic and all of the disruption, Lord, maybe we've kind of got into this place of apathy, but we want to look to you and say, Lord, have your way in our church. Have your way. Lord, have your way in Ipswich. Lord, would it be that many, many come to Alpha as we start in a few weeks' time? Many, many would come to hear of you, Lord Jesus, who you are. We want to, we want to proclaim you. We want many to come to know you. And Lord, we want to see extraordinary things. Lord, I pray that you would help us to step out in the days to come to, to, to pray for the sick and to bring release to those who are captive. We want to see extraordinary miracles. Lord, not for our own uh, uh, ego, but for your glory. We want to see this, Lord. We believe, Lord, that these things happen today. Many in this room would testify to having been healed. We want to see more of it, Lord. We want to see more uh, uh, signs and wonders verifying this message that we proclaim that Jesus is King. We want to see it, Lord. We want to see it. So, Lord, even this week, let us be those who, like the Apostle Paul, are kingdom-minded people. Help us to proclaim the King. Help us to point people to Him. Lord, where we've got stuck in arguments or debates, help us to proclaim the King. And would it be, Lord, that the word of the Lord would advance and prevail mightily? Lord, would it be? Would it be, Lord God, that as we look back in a year's time on 2022, we, can, we could say and summarize, the word of the Lord prevail mightily. Would it be, Lord God? Would it be that we would see that? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to praise God. We're going to sing to him. Band, you could, I should have probably teed you up a little earlier. We're going to sing. We're going to call out to him some more. But I want to invite you. We've got a bit of time. I want to invite you. If you, if you know, I, I, I need a miracle, a healing miracle, or, or, or whatever it might be. I need God to do a miracle. Then we would love to pray for you. We'd love to pray for you. And uh, I'm going to invite you in just a moment to come to the front. We often direct people to the prayer area. I'm going to invite you to come to the front today. As we sing, many others will be singing, just focusing in on God. I'd like to pray for you, and there'll be others who would love to pray for you and stand with you as you look to God for a miracle. I don't know what that might be for you. Additionally, I mean, the greatest miracle, believe me, the greatest miracle is when someone finds new life in Jesus, when they're born again. That is the greatest of all, all miracles. And, and maybe today you just know, uh, I need to give my life to Jesus. My, my, my dad uh, passed away last year, and when uh, he was in his um, 40s, early 40s, he became a Christian. And uh, he said to my mum, who had just, she just started going to church herself, and he, he saw some people going to the front at the end of the meeting. Uh, and he said, I'm never, you're never going to see me do that. I'm never going to do it. And, you know, months down the line, he surrendered his life to Jesus. I'm gonna, you're king. And he never looked back. It was the best decision he ever made, hands down. Listen, you can do that today. You can do that today and, and, and know the king in this life and life eternal with this king in a glorious kingdom. And so today... You know, the biggest, there may be many things that you need Jesus to do for you. We want to pray for you. But the biggest need you have is to know forgiveness and new life in him. And we'd love to pray with you and stand with you in that. So we're going to sing. These guys are going to lead us.
and I'm going to be down here, and a bunch of other people will be down here willing and ready to pray for you. So uh, come on down. We've got time, and, uh, and we're going to respond to Jesus together. Amen?